everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cause for Joy. This is a special episode because we've got a special guest with us. Emma, do you want to introduce our guest for us? Yes, absolutely. So we are thrilled after, I don't know, a couple months of trying to nail down a date. We have Mother Natalia with us, who is a Byzantine nun member of Christ the Bridegroom Monastery in Burton, Ohio, uh, which coincidentally is only like an hour away from my parents' house. It's like we're super close. That's true. Isn't that so great? I know. Also, fun fact, I was born in Burton, Michigan. Um, I did okay, not congratulations. This... No, but that's, you just said Burton, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah that's. <laughs> yeah, but you were born in the better okay. state, Father. But Ohio is a better oh. state. Oh. No, Ohio Uh-oh. is not. I'm not from Ohio, so that's not offensive to me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so you're neutral? Okay. Good. Well, Wait, I... where are you from? I've moved over 20 times. Most recently, oh. I'm from Colorado, though. And Colorado blows both Michigan and Ohio out of the water. I would agree. True. I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. But regardless... She's living in Ohio. That's now. really ironic to say because Ohio and Michigan both have lakes and Colorado is landlocked. So Ohio has puddles. Blows them out of the water. What? <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> Michigan's got the five Great Lakes. You guys have like We have Lake Erie. Okay. You have Erie. That's it. Okay, whoop de doo. Do you also want to know the fact that I was born in the same town as Mother Angelica? Okay. We have Blessed Solanus Casey. Okay. So. We have the Pro Football Hall of Fame and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> and Mother Natalia. Mother Natalia is like backing back like, I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> you guys can fight this out. <laughs> Anyways, okay. So back to some facts here. Right? Yes. So yeah, she's from Christ the Bridegroom Monastery, which, like I said, close to my parents. And one of these days when I go to visit my parents, I will come and visit maybe take mm-hmm. a Pustinia, which would be great. And she's also a co-host for the podcast, What God Is Not, which is a Byzantine Catholic podcast where she's co-hosting with Father Michael O'Loughlin, who is in California and the Los Angeles area. I think he was at the Eparchy of Phoenix. Is that where he's mm-hmm. part of? So yeah, so he's out there. It's a very funny, spiritually enlightening podcast. So if you haven't, check it out and support them, give them ratings and all of that jazz, share it with all your friends. They have... Yeah, they're just, they're fun to listen to. So, and just some beautiful insights that you can get as well. And she also made her life profession recently. Was it September? Is that correct? September 26th. That's what it was. But it was delayed three times. So, because of COVID. Yeah, thrice. Mm -hmm. Right. So, (laughs) but, and if you want to just hear some of her beautiful journey about preparing for life profession, they did it, was it four part or five part episodes? Um, hmm. I should know, but because, I don't. The, but it was like, yeah, part one, part yeah. two, part three, where she shares her prayer just through the, the life profession of hmm. what actually happens, which I found to be very spiritually enriching. So if, you know, if you're going to listen to any episodes, that was probably just a very enlightening, you know, month or so that you went through that. And I think almost at every episode, you're like, yeah, we'll finish up next episode. <laughs> and then it was like <laughs> Always more to four share. parts yeah. later or something. <laughs> But yeah, we're thrilled to have her. I'm not going to go too much more because she'll share some about herself as well when we get farther. So can I please talk about my banter topic? Oh my gosh. Go for it. So I've been on this kick of the Bermuda Triangle today. Of all things, we're talking about the Bermuda Triangle because one of our priest friends is taking a cruise and it's only like five nautical miles away from the Bermuda Triangle. What if he doesn't come back? Okay, well... 
She wants him to go there purposefully. I told him to kayak to the Bermuda Triangle. Right? (laughs) Do you not want him to come back? (laughs) No, I I do. I just want his experience. Like, I want him to prove everyone wrong. What if he doesn't come back? It'll be on you. I will be very sad, actually. He listens to this podcast, too, so he'll totally know that we're talking about him. So I guess our question then for Mother Natalia is, do you have any interest in exploring the Bermuda Triangle? Or do you want to stay as far away of that as possible? Are you a, Do you want to seize that mystery, or do you want to be comfortable in nice little Ohio? That's, that's what we're really getting to. Nice. I mean, I'm about adventure. Okay. Thank you. All right. So I guess <laughs> we should go on a field trip to the Bermuda Triangle then. I'm so down. Let's do it. Great. We can record a podcast episode in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> the last Which one we ever record. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It'll be worth it. It'll be worth totally, it. Totally. Totally. Okay. But I but I have another question too. So, well, first of all, quick question. So is the community you're a part of, would it technically be considered a cloistered community? It's not cloistered. So, well, so here's the thing. I recently learned that in the West, you have like different kinds of cloister. I always thought that cloistered meant like the nuns don't go out at all. But I think that there's different kinds of cloister in canon law. I don't know. But we're not. No, we're not cloistered is the answer okay. to your question. Okay, fair enough. My question I'm getting at is how is it that in a community, which for all intents and purposes in some way or another is cloistered, how is it that you celebrate the Easter season? Because I think maybe for some of our listeners, there's a stereotype of, great, it's Easter. Now the sisters can eat saltine crackers and water, you know, but do you guys really celebrate? Do you really get into the Easter season? Give us a a little glimpse into that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are all about Easter. We fast hard and then we feast hard. And so the traditional Eastern fast, actually the traditional Byzantine fast is to do no meat or dairy for all of Lent, what we call the great fast. So We had no meat or dairy or wine or cooking oil for the entire fast. You can have wine and oil on the weekends, which makes salad very exciting on the weekends because salad dressing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So yeah, then when Easter comes, what we call Pascha, just all the meat, all the cheese. We can have beer again. We can have all of these amazing things. I'm drinking a beer while we're recording because we're in the Paschal season. Cheers. And cheers. Dragon's milk is delicious. Cheers. We're raising our glasses to cheer through... Cheers. Through the virtual cheers. Virtual cheers. There we go. Yes. (laughs) And yeah, so we actually, the week after Easter is called in the East Bright Week and or the week of renewal. And so like we in our monastery, we do no work during Bright Week at all. It's just community recreation and extra rest. All the prayers are just much shorter. And like we don't abbreviate them. The prayers during the week after Easter are shorter. So yeah, I saw Star Wars for the first time. I'm sorry, oh. for the first time. What? I know. I'm seeing a lot of judgment right now. From a those lot of well, I, I've only um, just he's seen also, it for the first so time. So he's drinking out of one of my mugs. So we're recording in the, the church that I work, and he went into my office and got one of my mugs to drink out of. It's a Star Wars mug. Um, it is indeed. So I'm. There you go. That's funny. I really love Star Wars. <laughs> I had seen the first one, like episode four, because I liked a guy who liked Star Wars. That was my entire reason for watching it. But the, this is before I was a nun. Full disclosure. Thank you for clarifying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this week we watched um, episodes four, five, and six because those are the best. Bright week. So. Yeah, and yeah. those are the best. You know, mm-hmm. I think episode five is probably the best. So that's my personal. So, opinion. but sometimes, sometimes we go kayaking. Sometimes we, you know, we could 
kayak to the Bermuda Triangle, for example. <laughs> um, that could be fun. You guys it's go a little ahead. far from Ohio, but I mean, we should get Father Michael Lachlan on a kayaking trip too. You know. Oh, he oh, totally would kayak to the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. That's that's true. He probably would. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I would love to see that. Actually, I'll participate until we get to the edge and then send him off. Just <laughs> <laughs> see what happens. He can be our little our little test run. Yeah. yeah there you go. He totally would. He totally would. <laughs> so I just would love for you to speak a little bit more into the meaning of our logo. So we have the burning bush. as our logo and it is a meaning for us as you know when we are created when we're born I imagine us being born as trees right or bushes but then we're baptized and we're filled with the Holy Spirit and so we're set on fire for the Lord right but then also the burning bush is how the Lord spoke to Moses but then the third is Our Lady right and Our Lady Mm. being just this image of the burning bush and it definitely is more of an eastern kind of devotion image so i don't like could you maybe speak into that because again most of our listeners wouldn't necessarily think that way and it just so happened that i stumbled across a quote from gregory of nyssa that explained this so Mm. you know go for it you know enlighten us with our lady of the burning bush or however you would call that sure so I'll give the disclaimer, first of all, that Gregory of Nyssa is surely more eloquent than I am. But <laughs> so w- whatever he said, I'll just say ditto. Good. But but I will I will add, it's actually funny because I didn't think of this when you were talking about the logo, but I'm now looking up at, we have an icon in this Pusinia of the Theotokos, that's Mary, God yes. bearer, as the burning bush. So that's what? fun. So I'm looking at that right now. That's pretty cool. So yeah, she's often talked about as we we refer to her as the bush which burned but was not consumed mm-hmm. because because she contained within her womb that which is uncontainable mm-hmm. and that which can't be in some sense like his divinity can't be touched by human hands you know this is this is what's so crazy about the incarnation this is what's crazy about thomas putting his hand into the wound of christ because mm-hmm. you know in the old testament like you touch the ark and you're struck down and so so just as Mary is referred to, like we we refer to her as the new Ark of the Covenant. And I know that's very common mm-hmm. in the West as well. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a similar thing with the bush that burned but was not consumed. Like it's a reference sure. to her perpetual virginity also of just mm-hmm. like she conceived, she bore, she gave birth. And in the midst of all of that, she remained a virgin. Mm-hmm. So and to be touched by by divinity and to not be totally consumed is just mind boggling. So mm-hmm. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's pretty much it. I think so, it's, Oh, yeah. oh, oh, last thing. Actually, I did think of, there was one other thing I was going to mention. So in Eastern tradition, this might be true of West as well. The other disclaimer is like, I don't really know much about Western tradition. So this might be true for you as well. Sure. But at least in the East, whenever there's like a physical manifestation of God in the Old Testament, that's generally t- believed to be the second person of the Trinity. And so the voice that the voice that comes out of the burning bush is often thought to be the voice of the second person of the Trinity. Mm. So I think that adds to the image of the bush being the Theotokos because it's the the voice of the second person of the Trinity coming out of that. That makes sense because Jesus is the word, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I cut you off. You can see in that's okay in in icons of the the three used in the furnace. Um, you'll often see that in, in some of the older icons, the angel that's in the furnace 
has in his halo the the ho'on, which is the the symbols for for Christ, like mm. the angel being the physical manifestation, the the second person of the Trinity. So that's all pretty cool. Wow, that is very cool, isn't there? Mm-hmm. I, I think that's in the passage too. It says someone appearing like a son of man yeah. was in the mm-hmm. was in the flames or something like that. Mm-hmm. Just coming to mind. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's powerful. I didn't realize that. So. Yeah, I definitely didn't think of that when we chose the burning bush as the logo. That just—I mean—that <laughs> adds Jesus so much. Did. Right, Jesus Amen. did. Amen. He did, and it adds just a, a very—I think—a a deeper meaning to it as well. Like that, there's—you know—that Our Lady, Our Blessed Mother, is watching over us too a, in a very beautiful, particular way. So, you spoke about icons, right? And I love icons, and I know that father would echo that as well like we don't have a lot of icons in the west as far as like in our Mm -hmm. churches we don't you don't typically see icons you know so Mm -hmm. but i know in the east it's very like it's powerful so could you speak into that like this is just some of the devotions right that that the east have that maybe the west aren't as familiar with and so some people may be like what are you talking about when you talk about an icon you know so sure what does that what does that look like in your life yeah, absolutely. So so just to give, I guess, a little bit of background, too, because a lot of your listeners are maybe totally unfamiliar with what Byzantine Catholics even are or yes, the fact absolutely. that we exist. And so so Byzantine Catholics, first answer, yes, we are Catholic. Mm-hmm. Like you can go to a Byzantine Catholic divine liturgy on a Sunday. You can receive communion if you're Roman Catholic. It fulfills your Sunday obligation, so on and so forth. And you have to make sure that it's actually Byzantine Catholic, not Orthodox, mm-hmm. because the two are often confused and and they're often confused because our traditions our architecture our theology a lot of that looks like the orthodox but we're in communion with rome we're under the pope whereas the orthodox are not so that's an important distinction mm-hmm. so how byzantine catholics came about and and i promise this is getting to your question emma how byzantine catholics came about is when jesus told the disciples the apostles to to go out and preach to all the ends of the world that's what they did mm-hmm. and they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have email, and so different traditions developed in different areas of the world. And actually, when you think about that, it's really incredible how much consistency there is and how much, there, like, mm-hmm. it's, it's really a sign of, of God's providence within the church mm-hmm. and the, the Holy Spirit working within the church because there's so much that is the same. But the smaller T traditions developed differently in different areas. So Byzantine Catholics, are that includes we're, we're in the catechism if you're still skeptical that we're catholic we're in the catechism <laughs> the byzantine rites and you can tell i encounter this a lot people are like but are you really right <laughs> yes so you'll like at our monastery we're, we're ruthenian byzantine and which is like a certain mountain range in eastern europe the carpathian rusin mountains and so carpathian mountains so so anyways the the different traditions that developed in some areas that was more like statues in some areas like in the east eastern europe and so on and so forth we developed icons and so there's a lot of of icons in the east like you're talking about emma and what you'll notice about icons these are if if someone doesn't know what an icon is like if you've ever seen a religious piece of art and you're just like Well, I was going to say, and you're like, that makes no sense. But that kind of describes a lot of like modern art. And that's not what I mean. But (laughs) um, but, sorry, no offense to anyone. We'll edit that out. Probably we won't. That's fine. So the if you're just like the proportions aren't right, the colors are weird, things like that, like icons, they're not supposed to be realistic. 
because what's being depicted is a very specific theology. So in mm -hmm. icons, the color means something, the shapes mean something, like a big forehead means a lot of wisdom and a small mouth means humility and things like that. So that's why things look totally disproportionate because they're not supposed to just be showing us like, they're not supposed to be just appealing to our human senses. They're supposed to be teaching a deeper theological reality. And so for instance, you'll, you'll typically see Mary is wearing in icons. Mary is, has a blue cloak with a red mantle over it. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is the reverse because blue is humanity and red is divinity in icons. So Mary was humanity, but cloaked with divinity and Jesus was divine cloaked in the humanity. So yeah, icons are their theology in color sure. basically is, well, is a phrase that we use a lot. This uh, boosts my self-confidence. My parents, well, mainly my sister and my mom are always saying how much I have a big forehead. So now I can oh tell gosh. them that I am wise. You're just really smart. I'm just yeah. really yeah, smart and wise. Right. I cannot wait to tell them this. I'm just like, none told me this. So, it's going right. to be true. So does that mean that But she doesn't have the small mouth. Oh, hey. hey <laughs> Got him. Oh, uh, Mary-Kate and I are thinking on the same note. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't even have a, a comeback to that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Because I, it was just true. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Truth hurts sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Something something else I would add, too, for our listeners. So a, a lot of our listeners are in the Diocese of Saginaw, and I would just encourage them, if they want to see what this is like, we do have a church that offers the Byzantine liturgy at St. George's in Bay City. And I would just say I've, I've been to that liturgy a, a couple of times, and... There's something about, and, and maybe, Mother, you would agree with this, there's something about, you know, you can hear some of this background, and it's helpful, but it's another thing to just kind of immerse yourself into it, like just jump mm -hmm. into a liturgy and just see and smell, just really enter into the liturgy, and there's a certain just encounter you have with the divine that it's kind of like before you go through all the research, it's, it's good to have some background, but I would just encourage, especially people in our diocese on a Sunday, to just go to the church that's in Bay City. It's in communion with Rome. It fulfills your Sunday obligation and just experience it firsthand because, yeah, I just think that it would be a really fruitful experience. So would, would you agree kind of with that sort of tactic? Mother? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. And it's very much an experience. Our books, I would even say like our books are kind of confusing, the books to follow along. And I would encourage people, I, I couldn't do this because I'm too neurotic, but if you're not as neurotic as me, I would encourage you to go to a liturgy and like, don't even try to use the book. Just, yeah. mm -hmm. just listen and experience and, and immerse yourself like Father's saying. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. That's what so. I, I mean, even when you come to the traditional Latin mass, that's what yeah. I encourage people, you know, you just go, don't even try to follow along, just go and experience it first. And then if you mm -hmm. go back, you, you can, you know, follow along or try to follow along a little bit more, but you just, yeah, to just go and experience it. So, but if I remember correctly, if I heard in one of the episodes from What God Is Not, that you were raised in the Roman, right? And yeah. So mm -hmm. yes, I, I, share... was, I was baptized, First Communion, Confirmation, all of that in the Roman rite. I was, wasn't super well catechized, which my parents and I have talked about a lot. Like they just weren't really catechized either. Mm -hmm. So they didn't really like, you know, and so that's why I know a lot more about the Byzantine than the Roman. <laughs> sure, sure. But yeah, so I was raised Roman Catholic. My whole family left the Catholic Church when I was in high school, around my junior year of high school. And then I came back to the church in college. And very shortly thereafter, within a year, I discovered the Byzantine Rite and and just fell in love with it. Like I went to a divine liturgy and 
I immediately, I loved the liturgy. I loved the icons. I loved the theology and, and just ran to it. So. Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. And we, we kind of want to get a little bit more into that testimony. Like we said earlier, a big part of this podcast involves people having the chance to share their story. And I know that in other formats, you've been able to share kind of your testimony, your vocation story. So we want to encourage our listeners, if you want to hear kind of the extended version, you know, for, for the movie fans out there, there's a really good episode on the podcast that Mother is on. The episode is called From Whence Mother Natalia Came, which is very fancy. Yeah, very classy. She was also on an episode of the Pints with Aquinas podcast as well with Matt Frad. So she has kind of the some of her testimony or vocation stories out there. But I know at least one thing in particular, Mother, that I wanted to ask you. I, I listened to your vocation story on the What God Is Not podcast. And one of the things I was intrigued by especially since this is the Cause for Joy podcast, is that you mentioned something about your experience of youth group and this idea Mm. of seeing the joy and then wanting to enter into it. So hopefully you know what I'm referring to, and maybe you could just talk about sort of those youth group days and where you were at and what you were looking for and what you found. Yeah, absolutely. So I do know what you're talking about because it's, it's just a very prominent part of my vocation story. So first of all, like, joy is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, right? And so, so when we, this is one of the ways that I like know when God is working in my life is when there's really a deep joy. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that we all know, at least intuitively, that there's a difference between just like a superficial happiness and a Mm -hmm. deep joy. And that deep joy is of the spirit. So when I was in high school, like I said, my family left the church. I started to go back to the to the church just on my own. Cause I just like, I was feeling like something was missing in my life and nothing more complicated than that. Just, I felt like something was missing. There was an ache and I was looking to fill it. And I started going to this youth group and getting really involved in the church through youth group. And it was very much what you're describing father of just the other kids in this youth group had such a joy. And I was so lacking that in my life because I was very much living a life not of the spirit <laughs> that I was so lacking that, that I wanted to be around it. And because it's just like, yeah, I realized that's part of what I was aching for. And then I I, I fell away after that, just like family troubles. You can hear about that in, in the podcast mm-hmm. if you listen to that. But, but then in college, I liked a guy. So same reason as I watched Star Wars, right? Like this was pretty much why I did ever, anything in my life. It's it's why I learned to solve the Rubik's cube because I like to guy. I just it's whatever, you know. And when I when I tell my vocation story and I tell people like that I had a crush on a guy, there's always like one old lady out there who's like, "You mean Jesus?" And I'm like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, "That's not what I meant." So, anyways, I. I, I liked this guy and he was very Catholic. He was like uber Catholic and he invited me to go to mass and then he invited me to his adoration group and then he invited me to a focus conference and or a focus missionary through the adoration group invited me to the conference. Anyways, I go to this conference and again, it's that deep experience of joy, but I'm now like, it's not just that I want to be around the joy. It's I, I want this joy for myself. Like these people clearly have something. These people are clearly doing something that I'm missing, that I'm lacking. And and I want that. And that's what kind of made me like really dive in. And, and it's, it's honestly what I think the Lord has used in all of my life Mm -hmm. is this joy. And, you know, when I, if I can tell one, one brief story about 
my name. So at our monastery, we can submit up to three names when we're tonsured, like when we receive the habit and the new name and everything, when we're tonsured a nun. And mother can choose one of the names or she can choose a name that's not on the list. And I thought that there would be something really powerful. I, I got mother's permission to have my spiritual father help me choose the three names because I thought that it would be really beautiful for my spiritual father and my spiritual mother to be the ones to name me. And I also thought that that would be a gift to my spiritual father of fatherhood that he otherwise wouldn't get to experience because he's a, a celibate priest. We do have married priests in the East, which is a whole other thing, but but this priest is celibate. So anyways, one of the names, so, so Natalia, I'm named after St. Nathaniel from St. Nathaniel the Apostle from the first chapter of John. I'm not named after St. Natalia. But one of the other names that we submitted was Kara, and which we would have taken as short for Kara Lampus is a saint, but Kara is the Greek for joy. And mm-hmm. so, so he chose this name because he really believes that joy is one of the primary ways that the Lord works through me and, and one of the primary ways that he's worked in my life. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's just really exciting to be on the Cause for Joy podcast. So. Yeah, full circle, wow. full circle. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. It's it's also kind of so you you shared kind of the joy that was there in in high school and how that kind of propelled you into the faith. And I'm just kind of wondering, you know, we had a we had an episode on joy, I think back in season 1 and we we kind of went through the disclaimers of this idea that, you know, I think sometimes joy is perceived as this just overly enthusiastic, bubbly personality that's kind of like distant from reality you know and how mm-hmm. and how like you mentioned joy is a fruit of the holy spirit there's there's something that i mean joy is is rooted in reality itself so what about as time has gone on maybe perhaps as you've encountered more suffering or maybe some of the butterflies and like good feelings of that initial conversion if those have kind of faded away like how have you still maintained that sense of joy in the quote unquote real world you know Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I, I think it's very much a pursuit of the will of God. Like mm-hmm. as we're pursuing the will of God, then the joy is actually kind of like the compass needle for me. So I, I always tell people, you know, as I'm giving spiritual direction, even I tell people that peace and joy are very much how the Lord speaks to us because we, we read in scripture that the the Lord's voice is a voice that speaks of peace. And again, peace and joy are both fruits of the Holy Spirit. And is peace a fruit of the Holy Spirit? Can we fact check that? Father probably I, knows. He I believe holy. so. Can we fact check that? <laughs> yeah. Looks okay. can be deceiving. <laughs> joy is definitely a fruit of the Holy Spirit. I think peace is too. Yeah. So anyways, it's, it's kind of a, a compass needle for me of like the times that I'm lacking in joy is not great. Got a thumbs up from Mary Kate. It's, it's totally a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Yes. So... <laughs> The times that I'm lacking in joy, and again, it's like this deep resounding joy. It's not, I like that you're making the distinction of it's not just like an overzealous, overenthusiastic kind of happiness. It's something that like really bubbles up from within. And when I'm lacking in that, I find that it's always because I'm missing something in the will of God. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm doing the wrong thing, but it might mean I have the wrong attitude. I'm not actually surrendering. I'm, you know, a lack of joy and a lack of peace, I think means that like there's somewhere I'm not opening up to God. Hmm. And, and, and that's actually like how I discerned my vocation here is on my, my first visit, I was 99.9% sure I was called to the married life because 
I love men. I love babies. And I was like, clearly this is what I'm called to. And I come on a three-day visit to the monastery just to quote unquote rule it out. And <laughs> on that three-day visit, I I had such an overwhelming amount of peace and joy. And and the reason I knew that this was of God is because I came at like a really difficult time in the human sense. Mother Theodora, the, the superior of our community, her sister had just her biological sister had just passed away young from cancer. Like her funeral was here, was during that visit. And so there was a lot of grief, a lot of heartache. And we had a, another discerner who was coming to visit right after me. And she's deathly allergic to cats. And the monastery had a cat at the time. And so <laughs> I spent my three-day visit like washing the floors, washing the walls, washing the curtains. Like there was no human reason for the peace and the joy that I experienced on this visit. But but it was there. And I was like, this has got to be God. When this, this, so, the, yeah. the, the, the one that was like deathly allergic to cats, weren't you the uh-huh. one that you, didn't you say like, she better have a vocation or something like oh, that? Oh yeah. I'm like under the dining room <laughs> table and I'm scrubbing the floor. And I just said to one of the other nuns, I was like, this girl better have a vocation. Yeah. And that girl, that girl is mother Eliana. And she actually ended up entering before me. Like, <laughs> <That's beautiful. laughs> so I visited before her, which I like to remind her of, but she, I cleaned the floors and the walls for her, but she, she entered before me. So yeah. That's great. So, so you mentioned, you know, 99% sure you weren't going to enter religious life, but here you Uh are in front of us in a habit. So what, here I am, what what went down? Yeah. So at the, at the end of that three day visit, I was about 50% sure that I was called to the married life. And, (laughs) and I called my spiritual father and just yelled at him about how this was all his fault. And I don't want to be a nun. And he made me come here. None of that is true. Right? Like I came very much of my, my own will and my my own desire, but I wanted to blame it on him because I didn't really want to be a nun at the time. And I left that visit. I was kind of scared. And so I just didn't really contact the community for a while after that. <laughs> and and I was scared because I had this misconception, which I think a lot of us have, that, um, that God's going to call me to this thing and I'm going to be miserable there. And which again, joy, like that's just not how God works. Right. And so if he's calling us to a certain place, it's because he knows it's where we'll be the most joyful. It's where we'll, we'll most quickly reach holiness and so on and so forth. It's not because he wants us to be miserable and misery is how we're going to be holy. That's not how it works. And so, but I thought it was. And so I just didn't contact the community. So I was like, Jesus wants me to go there and I don't, and I'm going to be miserable the whole time. And so I avoided it for a while. And then I started praying for some signs. And Jesus says in scripture that a perverse and crooked generation seeks a sign. And I was like, I'm perverse and crooked. <laughs> uh, and and then he like gave me so many signs. He gave me burning bushes. He gave me like all the things that I don't think he normally gives people who aren't as hard headed as me. And so I called mother and I, I asked to come on a longer visit. And she said yes. And then I met the guy of my dreams. I decided to not date him because I was discerning. But then we like hung out and he played guitar for me and we like went for hikes and you know but but we weren't dating so yeah and then I like put that on hold to to go to the monastery for this longer visit and I went into that visit feeling 50 50 and like really anxious about that of I just want to know an answer and then I left the visit still 50 50 but really at peace and just like 
it's not time for me to know. And and I, I ended up realizing on that visit that if I had applied to the monastery at that point, it would have been because I didn't think I could be holy in marriage. Like I'd had hmm. a lot of relationships with guys that were unholy or unhealthy or both. And I would have entered the monastery only because I felt like it was the only way I could be holy. Because I did feel when I was at the monastery, I was like, I could be holy here. And and that's beautiful, but also we're called to holiness regardless of our vocation, right? And so, and you know, I, I said earlier that I like ran to the Byzantine, right? Because I fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. And I think this is really important. We should always be running to something and not running away. And and the same was true for me here. Like I needed to enter monasticism because I was running to it, not because I was running away from marriage. Mm-hmm. And mother was very understanding of that. My spiritual father was very understanding of that. And I said, I just need more time. I had the more time. I came to the realization that I could be in holy, like holy in marriage. You can hear again, that story on one of the other, either Matt Fratt or my podcast with Father Michael, but I did realize I could be holy in marriage and that it just wasn't enough for me. Like I wanted something more. And so, so I reached out again to mother and I was like, I want to apply. And yeah, it was, it was a very atypical discernment of like, I visited the monastery way less frequently than mm-hmm. we would typically ask someone to visit before entering. And we probably wouldn't do that again, but yeah, but mm-hmm. here we are. So I entered in 2015. I made, I had my, my tantra was in 2016 and then my profession was supposed to be 2020, but then thrice delayed as we, right. as we said. Because so. of the COVID things and the COVID. Uh, yeah. Yes. Not because like, not because anyone here was having second thoughts just because COVID. Yeah. Right. 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 Clarify. Yes. Point. It was be, COVID. Be very clear about yes. That. It was COVID. <laughs> COVID. Yes. And if anyone's interested in in hearing about that, actually, of like kind of the the pain of that of that postponement, or or if you're experiencing a similar pain of just like I want this thing and it's not coming and whatever, I would encourage you to listen to. There's an episode on our podcast called on the the What God Is Not podcast called Dispassion Vulcans and the Garden of Gethsemane. That's what it's called, and wow. and that really talks about kind of how I like had to grapple with with my feelings about mm-hmm. the postponement. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. sure. I do. This is what I was going to say about just vocations in general, because I think it's it's common for whether it be for young men discerning priesthood or even young men or women that are discerning religious life, like that they want the answer immediately, you know, but to hearing your story might give encouragement to those like, okay, well, I'm getting this feeling like it's just not time yet, you know, Mm -hmm. and that that's okay. That's okay yeah. to, to sit in the waiting, but not to just sit there and be stagnant, but to still be running after something, right? Still pursuing mm-hmm. Jesus, but trusting in his time, you know, trusting in, in the time. I know at least for me in my vocation, like that's that, that's the case, you know, and mm-hmm. just being open to that and being okay with, it doesn't have to be solved instantaneously, yeah. you know? So just when I wanted yeah. to like throw that out as an encouragement, you know, so we need more vocations. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, to all the vocations right right amen yeah right. and and that's hard because we're in we're in a society that's just all about the instant gratification mm-hmm. you know and it's like i can order things online and get them same day i can send someone an email and get a response immediately and and so on and so forth you know and that's not how god works like right. or not mm-hmm. or not how he 
typically works, I should say. Mm -hmm. Like he can give the immediate, but we can't like project onto him what we think he should be doing or or the time in which he should be doing it. And mm-hmm. and I think it's it's hard for probably particularly for women, it's hard if you're discerning your vocation because like we have biological clocks, you know? So it's right, like, right. I need to know right now because if I am going to get married, then I want to start having babies. And and that can be hard. And, and it really does take a, a great trust in God. It takes a great trust in God because the, the truth of it is, you know, I tell people all the time, like if I had left the monastery and I, I sincerely believe this, if I had left the monastery four years after being here, like in good discernment, if I discerned, no, I'm, I'm called to marriage and I left, it would not have been wasted time. Mm-hmm. Like I would have been a much, much better wife and mother because of my time at the monastery, because of learning to live in community, because of learning to pray and, and all of that, because of learning to die to myself. And, and God, God uses all that, which I guess that's the, that's the encouragement I would give alongside yours, Emma, is Yes, we need to be patient. Yes, it's okay if we don't have an answer right now. But we also need to be unafraid to take steps. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think some people are are afraid to even visit a, a community because they're just like they think it's this huge commitment or it's and and it's not. Like, you know, you can visit right. a community. You can even enter a community and like it's discernment until the days of your of your vows, one way right. or the other, be it marriage or religious vows. It's it's a discernment mm-hmm. the whole time. So mm-hmm. absolutely. It's yeah. funny that you mentioned that, sister, because my husband actually was in seminary for five years and then discerned out, and then shortly after that, we started dating. And we both have said we are just very grateful for his time in seminary because he became a much better man for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've said many times that I, I think that there are plenty of men who are called to be seminarians who are not called to be priests. And I mm-hmm. think there are plenty of women who are called to enter monasteries or convents who are not called to be life professed nuns, you know, or sisters. So But the Lord is is using that time to form them in, in some Amen. way. And because we all need human yeah. formation, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. we're all we're all crazy humans at some point and we, <laughs> we need the Lord to, to form us, you know. The image of clay in the potter's hands, right? And mm-hmm. that the Lord is constantly molding and shaping us into the creation that He wants us to be. And sometimes that takes a long time. And sometimes it's mm-hmm. very painful, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, but it's just fun. a little plug for vocations, you know, and just <laughs> encouragement to, I guess, more encouragement than anything, mm-hmm. you know, that we want to be encouraging. So I think something else that just kind of wanted to touch on you, know, we, we talk about East and West and John Paul II was good at saying, you know, the church and trying to build unity, like we breathe with both lungs, right? Mm-hmm. That's there's we have the western devotions traditions and the east the devotions and traditions and i have a growing love for some devotions in the east and just the ability for our brothers and sisters in the eastern catholic faith to just sit in the mystery to sit in the awe and wonder mm. of god because i think and we touched on this a little bit in the last episode when we talked about lent and easter that we like to have the answers to things, you know, at least in the West, mm-hmm. I feel like we want to know everything there is to need to know, right? It's about God or we need to say, yeah, if we're an expert in something, yeah, we, we know everything, but in not allowing us to sit in the, the mystery and the awe and the wonder. And so obviously like we're not <laughs> doing this to like convert anyone to 
like the Byzantine rites or the Roman rites or anything, but really mm-hmm. how do we enhance our devotions to appreciate both? You know, obviously we have a Roman Catholic priest sitting right here and we also have, you know, me who's a lay person that works in, in a, a church in the Western world, right? In the Western rites. And so how do we grow in our devotions and appreciation for the East and vice versa? Like, how do we learn to breathe from both lungs and just appreciate what the Lord has given? Yeah. So we, we have a great love for St. John Paul II in our monastery. He's actually a large part of why our monastery started. You know, in his apostolic letter, Orientale Lumen, he called for a revitalization of of traditional Eastern monasticism, particularly in, in North America. And so our monastery started as as a response to that letter. Yeah, a little bit delayed, but a response to that letter. Sure. So we have at the monastery a stole that he wore. And yeah, we just, we have a great love for him. So shout out to JP2 who <laughs> is listening in that he... <laughs> Hey, we support this 100%. Yeah. (laughs) So anyways, I I do love this, this concept of, of breathing with both lungs. I think it's very, it's very apt because the East and the West, there are many ways in which we're, we're very different, but, Mm -hmm. but we're very complementary. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not different in the sense of opposing. It's, it's oftentimes a different emphasis on different things. In the East, we do have this emphasis on mystery, like you're talking about. And it's interesting that I have such a deep love for the Byzantine rite and that I was so attracted to it because I'm actually very, very Western in my way of thinking about, about things like this. Like my, my degree is in engineering physics. And so I'm very, right? <laughs> and so like, wow. I'm, I'm very much about the things being systematic, mm-hmm. about things being logical, about, I loved math growing up because there was always an answer. Even if the answer is no solution, like there was always an answer. Sure. And so, so it's kind of fascinating that I was drawn to the Byzantine right and because there's such an emphasis on mystery and to the extent that like well I'll, I'll get there in a second but I think I'll say I think what attracted me is that it's so counter to the way that I naturally think mm. and it was it was this reminder of the supernatural of like this draws me out of my comfort zone this makes me ache for something more mm. and and I think that's what attracted me to it was it kind of drew me out of myself and I I think it can do that for a lot of us like learning some of the Byzantine traditions I think that can do that for a lot of us of the western world not even just western Christianity and yeah to the extent that I'll ask Roman Catholics to like really maybe hold on to your seat right now or something because this is going to super freak you out but that's right hold on (laughs) so we don't define a time during the divine liturgy, which is what we call mass, that the mm-hmm. consecration happens. That's right. Like, that. yeah. <laughs> there's not like, so it's not just like, you know, in the West you have like the words of institution, is that what it's called? Or the words of consecration? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And like, that's the moment at which the bread and wine becomes the body and blood. And and the Byzantines are like, ah, sometimes <laughs> between like those words and the, the epiclesis, which is the calling down of the Holy Spirit, right. like somewhere in there it happens. <laughs> and we're just like, well, so whatever. Okay. Close enough. And, <laughs> you know, some of the more, some of the traditions are even that, like, it might not even happen until the Our Father. Like, it's just, 
yeah, that can like really freak people out because we want to know. But I think that goes back to, you know, we were talking before, before recording about your Easter episode and how you were saying, Father, that like, we like to have the boxes to check. And I think right. that's part of the temptation. And that's what being aware of kind of this sense of mystery can draw us out of this temptation to like, I want these boxes and I want to be able to check them off. You know, it, it reminds me of, I just wrote a, a reflection for Lux, which is Leah Darrow's thing that she has for, for women. And I wrote a reflection on the passage of the rich young man because he comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do? That's what he says. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life, right? Or to, to get eternal life or to gain eternal life are some of the translations. And, and Jesus says, you know, well, do these things. And he says, I'm already doing those. What more do I have to do? And it's like, in some sense, Jesus meets him where he's at. You know, he says, like, these are the things that you have to do. Like, the guy's asking for boxes to check, and Jesus gives him the boxes. But then if we express even just the slightest desire for more than that, then Jesus says, now enter into relationship. That's what the East can bring to the West at this time, right? I'm not mm -hmm. saying that, like, I don't know. Like, we can we can encourage, the West can definitely encourage those of us in the East to, like, <laughs> hey, you guys maybe need to be a little more attentive to, like, the actual rules. <laughs> and, and the East can say, you know, and we need to also remember relationship. And there, there's this, like, that's one of the amazing things about a marriage, right? That's, like, one of the beautiful things, I'm sure Mary-Kate can speak to this, of, like, you never fully know your spouse. Like you're always learning more for the rest of your life. And in part, that's frustrating. But in part, it's also like, that's part of the beauty. And the same is true of our relationship with God. And the same is true of the mystery there is that there's this excitement of, I'm always learning more. I'm always being invited into something deeper. Mm -hmm. So... That's beautiful. Yeah. That's that's uh, if I could springboard off of that, because I was thinking of that not only with this question, but then even going back to discernment and how in the process of discernment, at least I found for my own sake, like when I started out early on, it was like, God, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Mm -hmm. Right. Just tell me I'm supposed to be a priest and then I'll go mm -hmm. through seminary and I'll be a priest. And I sort of got the sense after seminary was done, like the Lord didn't tell me up front because if he were to just tell me what to do, there would be no need for relationship, right? So seminary was a time of deepening in relationships so that by the time the mm -hmm. call to orders come, like there's been this relationship established and this trust so that I could take that step out in faith. And then I think as well as we were touching on this theme of mystery, and I'm really glad you brought it into the example of marriage because I just recently listened to a talk where a priest said that we advance in our relationships with others, not so much through answers, but through questions, right? And Jesus was the mm. master of asking questions, right? Like, look at the questions he asks his apostles and, you know, the woman at the well. All these questions get us into the mystery of a person. So there, there's something about the, the question that advances us into the mystery that we sort of mm -hmm. miss if we're so focused on the answers. And that's that's why to kind of echo what we're all saying and what I think you're highlighting for us is a is a beautiful lesson that I think we can learn from our Eastern brothers and sisters mm -hmm. for the sake of relationship. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and I found yeah. like even the Jesus prayer, you know, just Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Some versions are Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, maybe just son of God, mm -hmm. have mercy on me, a sinner. And to just repeat that over and over and over again. 
it's almost just like when we pray the rosary because the rosary isn't necessarily, I mean, you have a, a devotion to Our Lady, obviously, but with the Theotokos, mm-hmm. but not necessarily the rosary, correct? Like, it's correct. Like yeah, that was, the, yeah, that was the a tradition that developed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it's the chotki that you have. It's a prayer rope, correctly, correct? Mm-hmm. Right knots and there's yep. the different knots where you pray the jesus prayer and such and so different yeah chotki, chotki is the the slavic word or the russian word for for not so <laughs> that's where the name comes from nice but cool but i've noticed that even sometimes as i'm going up to receive holy communion that's when i bow or if i genuflect it's i'm, I'm praying lord jesus christ son of god have mercy on me a sinner right before mm. so it's it's even that you know these little things that i'm pulling in from what i know of the east and to mm-hmm. enrich my prayer life too. It has been very beautiful. Yeah, and and the Jesus prayer is a really great way to do that. So yeah, like you, like you said Emma, that's Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God or son of God, have mercy on me a sinner. And there there are different variations of that, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's just Jesus have mercy and and so on and so forth, but it's it's a very old tradition and you know, starting with, I want to say Diodokos was the first one to really put it into a formula. But we're we're talking like Desert Fathers mm-hmm. is, is when this tradition started. And what's beautiful about it and the way I think it really aids all of us, Eastern or Western, is that it's an answer to St. Paul's exhortation to pray without ceasing mm-hmm. in First Thessalonians. Because the, the Jesus prayer, especially if you learn to pray it, and, and I talk about this I talk about the Jesus prayer more in my second interview with Matt Frad. The first one was more just my vocation mm-hmm. story. But if you're interested in hearing more, I talk about it in my second interview with Matt Frad. Or we have we have an episode on the What God Is Not podcast. I think it's called Byzantine Basics, the Jesus Prayer or something. If you learn to pray it with your breathing, that really aids in answering St. Paul's exhortation because like breathing is just something we do without right. thinking. And so when we learn to pray the Jesus prayer with our breathing, then we realize that we're just praying the Jesus prayer at random points just because we're breathing. Like, you know, it's, right, it's, it's right. a little bit of the Pavlov's dog effect. And so I, I particularly like to, I, I pray it very slowly, the Jesus prayer, and I typically breathe in twice and out twice. So I mm. pray, breathe in Lord Jesus Christ, breathe out son of God, breathe in, have mercy on me and breathe out a sinner. And the reason I find that really exceptional is that I'm breathing in the mercy and I'm breathing out the sin mm. symbolically. But also even beyond that is we so forget, like pay attention to the order of that. We breathe in the mercy and then breathe out the sin. Mm-hmm. And we can so often fall into this misconception that like we need to clean ourselves up. We need to purge ourselves of sin in order to then go ask Jesus for mercy in order to then enter into relationship. But it's like, we can't do that on our own. We can't get rid of our own sin. Like we need his grace. We need his mercy in order to even start expelling the sin, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so we really need to, to, to do it in that order. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, I think that's beautiful. As long as people don't get caught, you know, like holding their breath or something like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> like awkwardly breathing <laughs> right. or something. Passing like, out in the chapel. <laughs> right. Not a good right. thing. <laughs> Paramedics, yeah. what happened to you? I was just praying the Jesus prayer, but man, my breathing got awkward. <laughs> right, right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Keep right. breathing. Right. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? I also usually incorporate the Jesus prayer into my holy hour. Maybe one last thing worth mentioning. We've mentioned this on a previous podcast, and we know that while 
where you're recording right now is significant for this question, but we've, we've talked in the past on this mm-hmm. podcast about Pustinia. This is mm-hmm. something that I read the book Pustinia by Catherine Doherty. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and so ever since then, I take one 24-hour day out of the month to do like a off-the-grid kind of Pustinia prayer day, and I've, I've found that Amen. really beneficial. Father, I, oh. <laughs> yeah, so I, I love my desert days, and I, I, I've found them to be both beneficial, but also there's there's like a necessity to it. Like I, mm-hmm. I see it as necessary, mm-hmm. I think, especially for my vocation. It's it's the beautiful gift that comes with celibacy that affords me the time and the opportunity and kind of that I sense almost like an obligation to have that time in the desert with the Lord. So maybe to kind of close us off for this episode, if you just want to say something about sort of the spirituality of Pusenia. Again, we've mentioned it in previous podcasts, but maybe you can just touch on how it's been beneficial for you and, and how it is that you incorporate it into your kind of rhythm of life mm-hmm. in your community. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I'll say that a thousand percent of your listeners should read Catherine Doherty's Pustinia. So if some of you are listening and you were going to send in a $15 donation to Cause for Joy podcast and you haven't read this book, then you should instead spend that $15. I don't actually know how much the book costs, but like <laughs> go buy Catherine Doherty's Pustinia and read it and it's good for your soul. I mean, um, all so, of our sorry, yeah, guys, our, but... our behind the scenes people are also given the thumbs up for that too. So they support. Yes. Okay, yes. great. It's just so good. So yeah, you've, you've talked about it on the podcast before, but in case people haven't listened to that particular podcast, like you're talking about Pustinias, you're talking about your desert days, you're using this word, like these things synonymously. So Pustinia is the Russian word for desert. And so to, to go on Pustinia, as we say it at our monastery, is very much to go into the desert. So mm-hmm. so the intention is to to silence the exterior in order to silence the interior. Like this is the goal. Mm-hmm. And because the, the desert can be such a scary place for us. Like we think of the desert as just being this place of, of barrenness, of dryness, of, oh my gosh, it's so boring and whatever. <laughs> but the desert is like, this is where Moses encountered God on Mount Sinai. It's also where the Israelites wandered for 40 years, but that's because they like weren't doing the things, you know, it's where Jesus went and, and prayed and fasted for 40 days. And it's also where he encountered the devil. So we have to be on the lookout for that. Mm -hmm. But my favorite passage about the desert in scripture is from Hosea chapter two, where Jesus is talking about how he's going to betroth himself to Israel again. And he's speaking through the prophet Hosea and he's saying, he says, I will, I will allure her. I will lead Mm -hmm. her into the desert and there I will speak tenderly to her. And then he goes to talk about how he's going to have this whole betrothal with Israel in the desert and how, you know, as I was praying with that recently, a couple of weeks ago, I was just struck by the context of it is like, he's very clear that he's bringing Israel into the desert in this passage in Hosea, because he's like, trying to take away all of the things that's distracting Israel from him. You know, like he says, I will slow her down so that she can't catch up to the lovers that she's she's chasing. Like, it's just all of being on Pusinia, all of being in the desert is about entering into spousal union with mm-hmm. Christ, ultimately, men and women both. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so personally, at our, at our monastery, we take each of the nuns, takes about a 48-hour Pusinia once a month. And then... In addition to that, we have other retreat times, but we're very strict about that. Like there are lots of things that we're not so great about at our monastery of like, we might flex with certain times or whatever, but like Pustinia, that's a sacred time and it's protected. And like, 
you don't go knock on someone's door while they're on Pustinia. So, so we have at our monastery little retreat houses that we call our Pustinias. They're under the patronage of different saints. The one I'm recording from right now is Fotina, which is the name given in tradition to the woman at the well. Yeah, I recently led a very literal Pustinia for a group of women from Wyoming Catholic. We went and camped in the desert for about a week and the actual desert and awesome. had silence for a few days and other than praying some of the the liturgy of the hours and me giving a conference every day from mostly from Catherine Doherty's book Pustinia and yeah so our monastery Christ Abide Your Monastery in Ohio does have Pustinias you're welcome to come here on Pustinia on retreat and don't put in a request until after mid-June because we're doing chapel renovations this summer but and put uh, in a request after mine my request come first (laughs) <laughs> yes, put in your request after Emma's and also put it in in advance because we typically book a few months out. Like it's high demand, you know, people sure. people really have this desire and it's a beautiful desire. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, thanks. So awesome. I guess my question would be, what does that look like for a person who's married with children? Mm-hmm. Because we would also desire that, but it's a little bit harder to do that when you've got little mm-hmm. ones. Yeah. So it, it depends. You know, we can be we can be flexible. We can be creative. We have a family who comes here in Pustinia that I like to call this the Metzger trade-off or the Metzger swap. But so one of the parents will come on Pustinia for 24 hours and then the other comes with all the kids. We all have dinner together. And then the first parent takes the kids home and the second parent stays for 24 hours. And, and it's really, really beautiful. And I think it's a, a great testament to to just like married couples also like needing time with Jesus. Mm -hmm. But for someone who, for instance, lives further, like in Michigan, we have multiple houses. So married couples could come on retreat at the same time. We sometimes have space for kids. If it's during the summer, you know, there could be a camping thing. Like one parent could camp out with the kids while the other has their time for silence. And then they trade for a day or something like that. I don't know. We could get creative, but Mm -hmm. we can make something work. Cool to know. They totally would do. You would be fine. Totally. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I would just go stay with my parents and then, like, you know, pop up for 24 hours and then come back or something like that, you know. (laughs) It'll happen. I promise it'll happen sometime soon. (laughs) Anyways. I hope so. Well, I think my parents would hope so, too. I think they kind of enjoy seeing me when I come home. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways. All right. Well, cool. Well, this has been a very fruitful conversation. I think we're, we're pushing probably probably over an hour or so, so... We may maybe invite you back on for part two. We can dive deeper. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. If any of your listeners have more questions, then that'd be great. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah, They can send us an email and or let us know and we can dive deeper. So we're all about going deeper. But something that we do at the end of every episode, since we are the Cause for Joy podcast, we name our one joys for either for the past week or just something that has happened recently. What has brought us like that true lasting joy right the 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 Mm. true joy that jesus wants to give us and so i mean last episode mary kate and i both had two one joys so it can be more than one one. because i'm the melancholic of the group okay well that's true (laughs) it can be more than one or it can just be one so we're gonna make father kevin go first so that you have a little bit of time to think about your one joy. I appreciate that. <laughs> so my one joy. It's hard, for, it's hard for me as the choleric sanguine or the sanguine choleric. It's hard for me to narrow it down to one. So uh, uh, you're so. in good company. That's why I need this. You are thing. in good company. Yeah. <laughs> my one joy this past weekend was first communion weekend at the parish. Mm-hmm. So it was really beautiful. This is, you know, my first, first communion weekend as a priest. So being able to kind of like 
preach to the kids, to pump them up, and then to give them the body of Christ and just see how excited they were. Uh, just a beautiful testimony to just a childlike faith and just how we can often take for granted the sacraments and how, you know, speaking about the mysteries and the divine and whatnot, I mean, kids get it, right? And Jesus said to become like the children. So uh, it was just very edifying for me to those kids pumped up for First Communion. So that was a great source of joy for me this week. So my one joy was this was actually, uh, Mother, this was a recommendation you met. I think this was on one of your episodes with Matt Frad. But I've been reading the Cantata of Love. Oh, beautiful. So that is my one joy is reading that book. It's just been absolutely beautiful. So I would encourage it to the Mm. listeners as well. Verse by verse commentary through the Song of Songs. But just, I mean, saturated with wisdom from the church fathers. Just it's very, very beautiful. So there's that my, you know, Eastern Catholic coming Mm -hmm. out. So. Excellent. Yeah, so that's my one joy. Can I borrow that when you're done? I, it, I'm marking it all up, so you might want to just buy your own copy. <laughs> okay. I um, think I think Mother would encourage just an own copy. I, I would. I would I would even say if you're considering giving a donation to the Cause for Joy podcast, <laughs> instead... <laughs> By the end of the episode, everyone's <laughs> Amazon card is going to be full. <laughs> Let's oh. just give you a list of books that you should just buy before giving a donation. <laughs> Okay. okay, sorry, go for it. My one joy would have to be Mary Trez has recently gotten into a show on the Catholic Resource Formed called Brother Francis. It's made for kids, usually around, I, I think they say like toddlers to eight or nine years old, but it's got a lot of, a lot of fun songs and, and the character Brother Francis does a, a lot of good teaching about the faith. And I've noticed that when there are songs on the program, she'll start to sing along with them. And so it's like, yes, we're doing something right. (laughs) And so it's just been a joy to see Mary Trez experience the faith as a two-year-old, but also grow in her love for Jesus because now she'll she'll actually make the sign of the cross and Mm. and talk Mm. about Jesus and 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 whatnot. So that's just been really it's been really joyful to see that. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, Mother, you're up. My cause for joy is going to sound so much more shallow than all of yours, which is great. <laughs> I'm in I, I recently started, so one of the priests who comes and celebrates liturgy here is also a track coach, and he put together a running program for one of the other nuns and I to, to train for this 5K. And it's really exciting because I've been in a cardiac rehab program for a year and a half, mm-hmm. and which is very funny because like you see me and I don't look like I'd be in a cardiac rehab program. And it's <laughs> basically me and like a bunch of 80 year old men. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so and I yeah, but it's like the reason it's a cause for joy is just I really love running and I really miss running. And it's been it's been hard for me to like not have that because it's a place I really encountered the Lord is sure. in nature and specifically in running. And so so I started that this week. I'm on day two nailed it and it went fine and like my heart's okay and I didn't get sick and all of that so that's my cause for joy wonderful awesome great wow well mother thank you so much again for for doing this this was a joy no pun intended because of cause for joy (laughs) it really truly was a joy that we could actually we've been exchanging emails and now we've actually been able to talk in person absolutely virtually it was so 
It was so delightful. Thanks for having me yeah, on. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be continuing to support the What God Is Not podcasts too and keeping you guys in our prayers. So. Thank you so much. And uh, listeners, we hope that you enjoyed. Until next time, know that we're praying for you. Please pray for us. And God bless. And don't get lost in the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, that too. (laughs) God bless. Amen. Amen.